Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, returning to the Rebel transmission is Gabe uh, coming to us from Canada, or as I like to call it, FEMA Region 11 uh, of, the nor- of, of the Canadian sector of the North American uh, Union. LibreSolutionsNetwork.substack.com is the website. Uh, welcome back. How's it going, Gabe? It's fantastic, and uh, it's great to join you here. Oddly enough, I didn't know Canada had a designated uh, FEMA region, though. To be honest, I was always curious what it was, so it's good to know that uh, we're 11 up here. I'm just trying. I'm just extrapolating. You know, if we got 10 Mm. regions in the the U.S., uh, Mexico's probably FEMA region 12. Um, Right. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the Mexican sector of the North American Union, all under Southcom Southern uh, Command, and uh, a lot is always going on. Uh, Gabe, you know the, the hits keep coming on the cyber uh, front, but uh, you know to start, maybe what, what's uh, you're the expert uh, when, when it comes to privacy, surveillance, cybersecurity, and all that. Uh, what, what are some things you're looking at? Well, the thing that kind of worries me the most is that I think, you know, the Elon Musk operation has done an excellent job basically buying goodwill. People are like thanking him all the time at, wow, it's so amazing. He saved free speech online. And I hate to say it. That's not how I see it at all, especially with the laws across the world. You know, I was uh, with you talking last time about the EU's big push. Now I've got an excellent update update from Michael Geist talking about Canada's big push for, you know, uh, age verification for, you know, ostensibly it's for pornography websites, but it's also anything where it can be accessed, such as search engines and link aggregators like Reddit. So it's like there is this kind of crowbar being used, which is the age verification to push for, you know, total identification of people online, you know, over identification. And I saw Patrick Breyer from the European uh, Pirate Party basically feeling backstabbed by the EU because it's like, look, they're still pushing for this online identification. And I really do see on, you know, our digital landscape, they are simply plugging all the holes that they identified throughout the COVID, you know, era. And this is really their chance to consolidate any controls they need to grab before maybe next time who knows what the hell they're going to do next i think it's more likely that this is just a way to grab more digital surveillance control and really stamp out dissent you know with what you know wars we see coming up who knows what new measures will be introduced under wartime concerns yeah and you see many governments doing this um china i think has a very strict policy and i don't want to say you know it's not the chinese causing this it's um i i find a lot of this totalitarianism emanating from washington brussels and and london you know it's not china doing it china's on their own um gone down that road and separately we are uh as well so it's not like you know beijing is the source of this uh evil uh insanity but I think China has very strict controls. You know, they've you know the WeChat stuff. Um, I think their national IDs are are, are linked a lot to, to to do being able to do anything. And so now, what's happening in in Canada? What do you think? You know, if we just extrapolate, if these bills get passed, what what will sort of life look like in in Canada, for example, digitally? Well, the problem. 
the problem is we are seeing already, you know, they're starting to regulate, you know, the podcast they're going after anyone with over $10 million. And it's like, they're really doing what they can to consolidate the media landscape here in Canada that I honestly believe if it was within reach, you know, if enough corporations uh, went along with it and if they were able to get the enforcement side of it, they would absolutely love to control every single idea that people are allowed to get access to. And this is fundamentally what I see this is all about. You know, corporations were given so much control because everybody opted into these large tech platforms and that gave them an immense you know amount of power over discussion online that ended up being abused it's really only when governments started wanting to get in on that arguably that has always been there but it's obviously gotten way more extreme over the last couple of years and i really do see this as corporations and governments wrestling for control and over you know total online discussion and court the states are basically winning over the corporations. I don't think the corporations have any real need or desire to fight back because, well, corporations are, you know, a legal entity anyway, so they're always beholden to a government to a degree. But then to go even further, you know, you mentioned uh, China's Great Firewall. I actually found out recently that they are exporting the technology to other nations to re-implement the same system. You know, this isn't something that, oh, it's over there and it's not going to affect anyone. Odds are, you know, people have family abroad in regions that are starting to become affected by these things. And if it's like, if we want to protect the idea of a free and open internet, at least within, you know, relatively free nations, we're going to have to take a lot of things more seriously. And I think having your own, you know, inner you know, digital infrastructure helps, but I also think communities and, you know, even organizations as large as towns need to start thinking about, are you connected within each other? Because if you're just using giant corporate lines, you know, a lot of people focus on the storage, you know, where's your data? Is it on the cloud? Uh, where's the compute? Is it on their servers or your servers? But I also think the, you know, connections between communities is also going to become very important as we see ISPs themselves uh, participating in censorship over the last uh, probably year or two. Yeah, and just on China, I, I re Russia recently was uh, banning more uh, VPNs uh, as well, and so everywhere freedom is is they're limiting it more uh, and more. Real quick, Gabe, we're going to jump to the headlines. I have some good news. TNT uh, Radio News. TNT Radio News. This is James O'Neill. Ed Meese, a former Attorney General, together with law professors Stephen Calabresi and Gary Lawson submitted a legal brief to the Supreme Court challenging the constitutional validity of Special Counsel Jack Smith's appointment by Attorney General Merrick Garland. Carl Rove, a well-known political strategist, expressed his view that the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to remove former President Donald Trump from the state's ballot will ultimately work in Trump's favor. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio. We're talking to Gabe, who's up in Canada. I'm down here in Mexico, his websites are libresolutionsnetwork.substack.com, also libresolutions.network. And uh, there are a number of other, other developments I, I want to get your thoughts on, Gabe. But one of them was, uh, I shared this with you uh, 
earlier. I got it from Vox Days Telegram. Uh, he's a dissident on the right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I listen to dissidents from across the spectrum, dissidents from the left, the right, neither category. Uh, and, and um, you, you know, dissidents usually get things right. And he sh he's got a lot of interesting insights on his and Telegram, but one of them I shared the story with you about was about leaving uh, the cloud, and it was about a company uh, that just said, you know, screw it, we're just going to build our own cloud. It's the unorthodox thing to do. It's the dissident thing uh, to do, and they projected that it they would uh, over the next five years save seven million dollars. And so the, the the CEO, I mean, this is awesome. They just said. Um, they 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 placed an order of six hundred thousand dollars worth of Dell servers, got them, set them up, you know, stopped paying for the, the this private cloud uh, service and put everything on their own, and they're good to go. And and I thought this was an awesome thing. Um, your your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm not shocked at all to hear about the massive savings, considering just how much, you know, many of these tech providers have had to raise their prices over the last little bit, you know, with interest rates going up and, you know, there's a real crunch on their financing. Even uh, Twitter, Reddit and uh, some other sites were basically forced to ramp up their pricing to end users and, you know, third party apps. So it's not surprising at all that the cloud is becoming a worse deal over time, as bad as it was to begin with. But I think it's important for people interested in getting started, you know, hosting their own infrastructure, whether it's for dissident purposes or honestly just, you know, cost savings, which is a pretty valid reason to consider it. You know, there are three primary resources in cyberspace, as I like to think it. You have computing power, so like how powerful your CPUs and graphics cards are, your storage, you know, how much physical, you know, files can you hold on to, you know, hopefully with some amount of redundancy. And then the last is bandwidth. I think most people understand storage and computing power pretty well, but I think bandwidth is the most opaque. So I would estimate most of their savings were probably on storage because cloud storage, at least until quite recently is pretty expensive. If you, you know, set up a large VPS that has a huge, you know, solid state hard drive, that will cost you quite a bit monthly versus, you know, having just your own hard drive spinning on a server at your own machine, that's pretty inexpensive. But if you go off premises, you might notice one of the things that might offset your savings is you need a very high powered connection to be able to move all that data from your place to wherever you're trying to ship it through. So the connections themselves really do matter. And that's probably one of the most important things to consider is when you're trying to pull away from the cloud, are you making sure to secure enough bandwidth? But if you really don't need a whole lot of bandwidth, if you're not interested in serving, say, the entire internet, you're just in your local region, you could probably do a great deal just with a couple of powerful computers and some old hard drives lying around. Yeah, that's fascinating, and uh, hopefully we see more of this type of beha behavior going forward. And 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 we'll get to this. You, your recent Substack, you, you talk about Operation uh, Bankroll, and I think one of them is um, doing something like what this company just uh, did. But I, I didn't want to get your thoughts on Signal. You know, Kit Clarenberg of, of Gray Zone, but I think he I think he wrote a separate piece for his Substack uh, on Signal, which was fascinating. How they're losing their uh, funding basically, and they were, you know, a, a CIA signal is a CIA tool. He explains how a signal and other such items were key components in running regime change operations around uh, the world. And you know, signal was financed. I think the Open Technology Fund, which you know got got its financing basically from the Pentagon and 
you know other such uh out, outfits uh, and so uh maybe signal is no longer useful uh anymore to the pentagon or, or caa whatever uh, but you know kit also made the point that many phones have signal installed uh now and maybe there's some uh, back door where uh somehow the government can can see something uh but your your thoughts on signal losing its its funding uh and, and any other re- related themes there so i think the first thing to consider is that they you know the spies need working tools too just because the spies are funding software doesn't necessarily mean it does not do what it says on the tin there have been a lot of long-running criticisms of signal the big three i would list off the top of my head is people were concerned that it required a phone number to sign up you know this is at least a data point that while even though they may or may not have stored you know in a way that can be traced back to you. Fundamentally, that was a concern people had. The second thing was that there, at, at least a couple of years back, there was not a server implementation. You couldn't host it yourself. Now, arguably, that was a benefit because then suddenly it's harder for people to trace over the wire who is talking over Signal. You just know these many people are using Signal. And the last criticism that really kind of came up uh, before that was its integration with Google Play. And so I feel like it's impossible to talk about any Android app as if it exists in a vacuum, where if you are on a phone running Google Play services, we found out recently that, you know, Apple and ostensibly so are Google, you know, tracking people through your notifications. So Signal may not actually need to be compromised for them to get the same information off people using Signal if they're not taking the extra step to, you know, de, you know, disentangle themselves from Google. I am a little bit concerned that the discussion about Signal in regards to the Open Technology Fund is a little simplistic. For instance, if you open that post, he has a list of other projects that are also in the Open Technology Fund, which were uh, Canine Mail, which is a very you know reasonably pop- popular email app for Android, as well as the Tor project, and a, co- a WireGuard as well. That was another one that stood out to me. And I don't believe that it's something being funded by the Open Technology Fund means it's broken. In fact, it might actually be a sign of quality if they actually need it for spycraft. It needs to at least fulfill a purpose. And so actually in response to this uh, debacle, as I didn't consider, because I always considered it a bit of a hit job on privacy tools, because I think it is a little irresponsible to shoot down an option without presenting alternatives. You know, it is important to realize we do need to take responsibility for the tools we're using. And so I did a bit of a deep dive over Tor because, you know, there's a lot of criticisms over Tor, especially over a while. And part of it is that Tor is kind of discussed mostly in terms of an anonymity tool, but it also has another function. The other function Tor has is that it works to circumvent internet censorship. When you have the Great Firewall of China, when you have, you know, this ISP level disruption, Tor is built to evade that. And so one of the problems I've saw when I would see security researchers commenting uh, on the state of Tor, and again, this is better than just talking about funding. They were actually looking at what are the bugs that are in the system that can potentially, uh, you know, identify users. And so one of the things people found was that, you know, there were some circumstances where there was essentially a trade-off between censorship evasion, censorship mitigation, and privacy. And so that if somebody was just using Tor for privacy, that's a serious problem, just like it would be if they were just using it for censorship evasion and then they're private, but then they can't access anything. So it is a very complicated landscape. And I do think 
people are kind of prone to want the perfect solution, which is why in response to this entire discussion, I kind of wrote a bit of a blog post about, on my Substack about how like there is no perfect web messenger, you know, uh, instant messenger you know signal is a recommendation that a lot of people will pick and i still don't think that's a bad recommendation because if your alternative is you know facebook or you know google or some other equivalent i still think it's probably sound you know as far as i'm aware there hasn't been an independent researcher who's proven it is broken in this way um but the challenge is that there are criticisms of signals and you do have to take care to actually set up your environment that it's not just the app that's you're you're making sure is secure. You also have to make sure your entire ecosystem is properly set up. And so part of it is that the messenger app can't protect you from Google Play services, can't protect you from all these other things. But then even worse, fundamentally, is, you know, when it comes to messaging, it's a way bigger problem than most people think. And even questions like network security, which is even before you start writing the messenger app, makes things very complicated. You know, if we have ISPs using root certificates to man in the middle, everyone in their country, which is what the EU proposed in their IDIS, you know, digital ID regulation, it's a moot point. It doesn't matter what system you're running or you need something that's entirely different, which is a whole lot more work to maintain. Yeah. And I, I you mentioned K9 mail and WireGuard. And I haven't um, done the deep dive on there. I don't know that the open technology fund uh, finance those. I do use K9 uh, mail and I, I think it's, it's, it's good. And uh, I think some of the services I use also use uh, WireGuard as well, which I believe is supposed to be uh, faster. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess I, I couldn't disagree with you uh, there. And you mentioned the notifications. I, I, I don't think we discussed that last time. There was a um, recent story on how, and I, I mentioned this here on TNT, on uh, how Google, Android phones, and Apple, uh, now that the notifications, basically, they're sent to a cloud and that uh, governments can then, they're not accessing the app. Um, or, or your phone, they're just going to the cloud and then they can see, you know, I was just, you know, correct me here if I'm if I'm wrong, I'm just using logic. But you know, there's been this talk of uh, WhatsApp, for example, or, or signal or whatever end to end encryption. Uh, but it's kind of, that becomes a moot point, no, because if, if a message that is sent to you on WhatsApp is shown in your notifications, governments can see those messages. So they go around the end to end encryption. Uh, no, what are your thoughts on um, this story that broke uh, and, and its implications? Well, this is where I really try to hammer home the idea of a threat model, because one measure will not protect you from every single scenario. You know, I do think there is a bit of simplistic thinking where people are like, oh, I just want this one thing and it'll protect me from everything. But like when it comes to state surveillance, that is a very complicated beast to tackle. I actually think defunding state surveillance is probably more effective than trying to out engineer it. However, when it comes to these kind of measures, end-to-end -end encrypting your messages still matters because then if you're on like, you know, uh, hotel Wi-Fi or something so, or, you know, other unsecured network or somebody has access to your network, those kind of techniques help protect you in other situations that do matter, even though, yes, the, you know, governments of the world do still have a, you know, way to peer into people's communications. It's important to realize that, and, and this is why I'm a huge fan of gradual improvements. I do think people do need to take meaningful steps, even if it won't protect you from, you know, the super high-end level of state surveillance. Though, the troubling thing about state surveillance is that obviously the tools of doing it are going to get so much better. You know, probably back uh, a couple of years ago, you know, a decade ago, they wouldn't have had the tools to process all the information being collected. 
I think what we're seeing in the last couple of years is that's catching up. I personally predict that, you know, real-time interventions will become normalized in the sense that, like, you know, the social credit system would have been something impossible to pull off in the past. But now with, you know, all the real-time monitoring tools that exist, it's easier to build a system like that. And so I do think state surveillance, while something that's very difficult to out-engineer or evade on your own, it is a very important priority to be concerned about and figure out how we can resolve either locally with our own governments or even internationally, you know, when it comes to the larger networks. Yeah, and I think the point that you made, I, I uh, live by that uh, as well, that security is like a, an onion, you know. Just by, you know, there's no, you know, getting a de-Googled phone is not going to save you. Using, you know, Linux is not going to save you. It's, you, you got to have that end-to-end encryption uh, messaging app. Um, and, and then you, you've got to have a, find a way to deal with the notifications, you know, r- revealing, um, you know, that leak there. You know, I, I, I mentioned how I turned off all of my notifications a long time ago because I want to control my device. I don't want my device to control me. And so it's, it's just... Um, a whole series of things you, you have to deal with uh, when it comes to privacy and, and, and protecting um, uh, ourselves. It's time for our break. Gabe, again, the websites are libretesolutions.network, libretesolutionsnetwork.substack.com. We'll be right back. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. This was Simone Sanders back in 2016, November to be precise. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. This was her last week on her own MSNBC show. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a high crime or misdemeanor yet. I, I completely understand. Are you going to let me answer the question, ma'am? I know you're a Democrat operative. You work for a Democrat consultant. Oh, now, firm, all right, Congressman. Let's do it then since we're here. We're out of time, but we're going to do it. I used to, I did used to um, advise, I did used to advise a number of individuals. I've also advised some corporations and companies, but here I'm just here to be an advocate for the viewer. And I will ask you one last time, what is the evidence that the committee has that Joe Biden, while he was president, committed a high crime misdemeanor or treason? You have to ask yourself, ma'am, why does a vice president or a president get $40,000 through a a Chinese communist corporation? All right. Well, with that, thank you all very much, Congressman. It's always a pleasure, but you just can't come on here and lie. Simone Sanders only survived her racist, we don't need white people remark back in 2016 because she's a radical leftist. And she eventually got her own show, and now she's able to tell a white male Republican congressman that he's a liar after she cuts his mic off. Only in America. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. From weather and traffic reports to news of political developments, we turn to journalists for the information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide the news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before. Domestic journalists are paying with their lives. They faced exponential risks and they've already paid a heavy toll. Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries. 
We just want people to be safe, to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street. These charges were politicized from the start. Facts win. Truth wins. Justice wins. C'est énorme pour moi d'être là, d'être libre. Surtout que je ne m'y attendais pas du tout. Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom is your freedom. This is the Hervoy Moritz Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. It is our final segment here with Gabe, LibreSolutionsNetwork.substack.com. Do subscribe to his uh, his channel, his stack uh, as well, LibreSolutions.network, if substacking isn't your thing. And uh, maybe just to take a pause for a moment from uh, the, the cyber world and uh, get your thoughts, Gabe, on, you know, we're going into 2024, how the whole Great Reset project is going. Um, there's more and more talks of cyber attacks, right? Cyber Polygon. Net Netflix just dropped that Obama-produced film of predictive programming related to cyber attacks. Uh, there was this Civil War film now. Uh, the trailer was released. It's coming out in April, I think, about you know Texas and California seceding. Uh, do you have any thoughts on you know what, what's going on with the New World Order and what uh, 2024 might bring. Yeah, definitely lacking a crystal ball. I don't know what exactly is in store. I think it's a safe uh, assumption during you know election season that things will get chaotic. I do think a lot of it is about really hyping up fear. You know, it's like anything they can do to kind of shake the bottle that everybody's kind of contained in. You know, that does a lot of things. You know, I hate to say it, it's very profitable to get people to freak out and make them make short-term decisions because they think the collapse is coming in a month when maybe, you know, what's in store is a little bit more gradual and, you know, grinding people into dust kind of a way. So I do think it is important to be measured, you know, realistic and cautious, no matter what we are, you know, kind of facing. And it's fundamental that no matter what is in store, you know, having people you can trust is really the only thing that will keep anyone safe, uh, you know, in the long run. But what I'm kind of really looking forward to in 2024 is I think the resistance to all of this is really just getting started because, you know, 2020 was nuts. You know, so many people were basically caught by surprise, you know, even if they were relatively awake, you know, I considered myself quite, quite awake and I was still, you know, felt uh, blindsided by a lot of what was going on and, you know, things have kind of steadily progressed. And I think one of the things that's kind of, hard to appreciate is I think the overall resistance had more of an effect than we see, you know, not everybody is getting their word out. You know, there's so many people who are participating in these protests that we're not going to know their names. We're not going to know all the people who are at the freedom convoy or at many of the other anti-lockdown protests or anti, you know, go protests in general. And actually it's that silent act of withdrawing from the insanity or the tyranny is what's really working. And there was this amazing, 
you know, honestly, I was I was shocked. It was, you know, I couldn't believe it when I saw this. The Bank of Canada did a, you know, survey basically asking Canadians what they thought about the what they called it, the Canada Bank Digital Dollar, RCBDC. And actually, a majority of Canadians said they wouldn't use it in that report. And they were actually quite negative on the whole, you know, CBDC project, which... Truthfully, is not what I would have guessed based off uh, people's revealed preferences. So maybe people will pleasantly surprise us overall. And I think, you know, there are a lot of great organizations out there really pushing back. You know, I'm a huge fan of the FLCCC, the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, you know, the World Council for Health. You know, there are a lot of great organizations that are really, you know, starting to get real traction. And I think with how many people who fought so hard to push back, to record information, to really get the truth preserved, you know, I've, I've found a lot of people I've considered heroes really over the last little bit and they're not done. They're not like, Oh, we did it. It's over. You know, they're continuing to press on. And honestly, I think it's equal parts inspiring and something to get really excited about because it's clear that we have a real opportunity. Yeah. And, and just today I was asking back um, some of my past TNT guests from earlier this year or last year, um, Canadian guests that were involved or participated with the convoy um, or in other walks of life to, to get them back on, to, to get their thoughts as to where we are. Uh, this fallout, the, the fallout, you know, uh, continues the tyranny, continues, as you mentioned, with these bills uh, now that are going on in Canada. And uh, I got an email from a listener and they uh, ask, you know, what other de Google methods do you recommend I, I i read that as you know what other things that can we do to protect ourselves apart from they list websites from the eff.org uh you know surveillance self-defense eff.org is a resource resource page a privacy webinar.com uh, of course they can go to your website uh and 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 others but um you know we got five minutes left any any, any other thoughts you know for this listener and others as to what one can do, as you mentioned earlier, I don't think there's not one thing you can do. And this this takes time. You got to sit down. You got to figure stuff out a bit or find someone to help you. But, you know, having the Google phone, um, having Linux or at least having both. If you have Windows, you can dual boot it uh, into Linux and Windows. Um, you know, just a whole list of things. Just uh, in, in, in other key points uh, here, uh, Gabe. I would also say, you know, it, a lot of it comes down to habits. You know, you don't necessarily have to rush out to buy something right away to learn most of the skills you're going to want in, in withdrawing from a lot of this stuff. You know, when you're still on Windows, you can install free open source software like, uh, you know, GIMP for, you know, editing photos. You know, there's a lot of great free software that is built for Windows as well. But then on top of that, you know, what you're going to want to do is part of the reasons why breaking from away from the cloud is so important is that you're not locked into their stuff. If you're using stuff like Canva, you know, to design your images, you're going to want to learn how to use software to design your own images, you know, on your own machine. If for no other reason, then, you, you know, it's on your own stuff and you're not dependent on them. If you're, you know, no longer allowed to access the service or whatever the issue ends up being. So you can actually start in really simple ways from the beginning, which might actually be something uh, worth covering uh, in the future. But, you know, this is the thing that's really worth keeping in mind is that it really shouldn't be so much about, oh, I need to buy, you know, this new amazing thing that's going to, to fix everything. It doesn't need to be a commercial product. It really can just be, how am I going to disconnect myself from these services that are honestly overtly hostile? You know, they're not working in people's interests and they are, you know, 
collaborating with evil forces. And so it's better if you analyze in your own life what you would like to do instead. You know, a lot of people choose to do things in a more analog way, you know, maybe sending letters to close friends instead of, you know, actually communicating online, you know, for certain types of communications. There's a lot you can do in that regard. But then, you know, the things that you do need to do online, that's when you need to figure out how you want to set your proper limits, whatever that may be. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of people switching to Linux. I think it's actually come a long way, though I will say it's not a panacea. You know, you do have to still be careful, you know, while it's harder to get viruses if you're safe about using, you know, ad blockers and things like that. It's 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 a serious task. And I think one of the things that I'm, you know, I've been working right now to write something about network security because i think network security is very poorly understood because of how complex it is and it's not something you can kind of do in an easy 101 and so it is really important to take things seriously and to spend the time to learn but don't be intimidated by having to learn everything all at once you know there are small simple changes you can do because even just not proactively handing that data over to google or apple or whatever uh the case, microsoft as the case may be just simply having the ability to compute on your own terms will go a long way. And maybe once you've withdrawn enough, you can go get by with simpler devices. The last thing I'd also want to leave on this point is that it's really useful if you can find a ways to circumvent, you know, email and regular text messages, because those are kind of, I hate to say it, a lost cause from a security perspective. And actually a lot of problems are, you know, caused by trying to still interface with those systems. If you're communicating with people and having amazing voice calls over XMPP or Matrix or, you know, one of the clients that supports either of those systems, you're in a way better position than trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, secure your your, your phone calls or other stuff though when you want to switch away from a you know cell phone provider because you still need one it's also helpful to use uh voip services you know i know a couple of people who've switched away from having a cell phone do they just use a voip service on their desk and you know the phone stays on the desk and that's how it is you know there's there's ways to set limits yeah and you know i don't trust any network you mentioned i will always flip on my vpn at hotels airbnbs even at a friend's uh uh Wi-Fi and habits, you know, I was listening to Rob Braxman recently and, you know, not clicking on S. I keep getting uh, fraudulent text, uh, SMS messages and emails, and it's a habit. Do not click on that stuff. You got to uh, figure that out. There's so much more. But uh, thanks for coming back, Gabe. I look forward to talking to you uh, next year. Uh, so have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. And um, uh, again, tell us the best place to find you online. Yeah, I'm on liberalsolutions.network. I have a sub stack and uh, I also maintain my own peer tube for videos. Thank you, everyone, and thanks for listening. I hope you all have an excellent Christmas.